This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote idea to the meaning of the word? Hello, hello. Hey, what's up, Jason? I'm scared to tell you. So I have spent, what is today, Friday? I spent five days and I've touched almost 270 specs. And all I've done is work on specs this week. And it's all around Stripe. Oh. Well, that that is, we're in very similar boats. My PR for pay is 19,000 lines added and 4,000 deleted. So Dope. yeah, but most of those lines are like VCR cassettes. So, yeah. so I am experimenting with trying to remove Stripe Ruby Mock in lieu mm-hmm. of switching to VCR cassettes. If you go back two years on this podcast, like almost to the date, we talk about Stripe Ruby Mock and some of the troubles it's caused us just because of how much we interact with Stripe in our code base. Well, and you like need all the very specific details that like if Stripe Ruby Mock was to do the complete mocking, it would just be like building Stripe itself or whatever. Like yes. it would just be ridiculous. So yeah, I understand that. We're at a place where we're like wanting to upgrade gym versions. We have to also update Stripe Ruby Mock gym version and that then break stuff and like so i was like let's identify how many times we talk to stripe in our specs because you know we use stripe ruby mock so it's free in air quotes but if i were to like turn off stripe ruby mock and just talk to stripe it's a lot like i profiled it and like, i'm embarrassed to even talk about it but i've got that number down and we're making progress but <laughs> woo, that sounds not super fun late last night i was working on paddle stuff with pay and I've discovered that for whatever reason the webhooks use a subscription status field but if you request the API to the subscription it gives you a state field instead of status and it's the same thing and then the API uh, gives you a plan ID but the webhook gives you a subscription plan ID and they're the same thing different names I don't know why and I'm like this is one of those times where I really appreciate the Stripe API because at least it's consistent. They're like conceptual guides are sometimes a bit lacking, but they're like API and gem are pretty solid and reliable at least. That's what makes a gem like Stripe Ruby Mock so hard to maintain, right? Is So Stripe is consistent, but they do make changes, right? Like when we had the change from like plans to products, so a subscription actually had a product and... Oh, yeah, I had to go check that again with they seamlessly, at least right now, interchange plans and price IDs and like you can pass them in together. But I was like, I should probably have a test to make sure that <laughs> continues to work because at some point it probably will break. But anyways, Andrew, you've been quiet. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, Friday, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's just been a week. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for you. Yeah, but this week, nothing to add. <laughs> This week's guest is Casper Tim Hansen from the Rails core team, I guess. We'll have you introduce yourself and tell people what you're up to right now. And I guess I'm curious about how you got into Rails and Ruby and stuff in the first place too. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Casper. I've been doing Ruby since 2009, I think. That was the first time I started with something. No, 2010. It was kind of weird. I used to be more kind of about how I got into things is sort of like, oh, that's not right. That's not cool or something. But it was actually kind of strange 
because I feel like I've almost worked as if I was in the 80s, then the 90s, then the series, series whatever they're called, audience or whatever. Which started with assembler in high school with registers and shit like that. I had no idea what I was doing with it. I had a Mac in 2008. I was very happy with getting that and everything. Yeah, this was 2009 by this point. And then we moved to Optic Pascal and Borland and things. So I ran that program through Code Weavers on my Mac so we could make Windows 98 apps in 2009. And it was so weird to do that on the Mac and everything. I was like, and it worked perfectly. Never had any issues with it whatsoever. I remember making a puzzle where you can like move the pieces around and stuff. I think it sort of worked. I don't remember. And for a while, it's just like, Wait, you could probably program the Mac too or something. So I bought books on Coco and all the stuff, core data, core audio, all that crap, and learned Objective-C a bit and the, the memory management stuff and all that stuff and a little bit with pointers into C and all that things, sort of. Never got super good with it. And then eventually I bought, segued a little bit into some of the iPhone stuff because I felt like that's the cool stuff or whatever. And then I got... What was it? I bought, I think it was iPhone app development, the missing manual or something. And then in there was a blog post on the website that mentioned scripting languages like Python and of course Ruby. And then they linked to Wise Portland Guide. So it's like, oh, okay, I'll read this stuff. And then I just loved that. And I loved the silliness of it. I loved the weirdness of it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I kept looking at Ruby and also Python still stayed around for a little bit, but eventually just sort of went away a bit because I just found Ruby to be more interesting or a little bit more captivating kind of. I doesn't think necessarily better about or anything like that. And then for whatever reason, I had no idea that there was a thing called web development. Like I had looked at Mac stuff and some iPhone things and everything, and I had no idea that I thought the web was just a thing that was there, apparently. So it wasn't for a school product, like a year later, that some guy was just figuring out, because we're thinking of, we had taken that with his computer science course in high school together. So it was like, why don't we make a product that uses that or something? We're some of the only people in the class that's done that. Yeah, sure, let's do that for an exam. And then he found out that there was a thing called Rails and there was a site called Rails for Zombies. So that was the first time that I sort of learned it and typed it in and what was it, Twitter for Zombies or something like that you were making in a browser. Pretty interesting to do that. And I was like, huh? I had no idea. So I had known Ruby for a year and had no idea what Rails was, even though 2010 was probably where Rails was at its, in some ways its peak in some circles or whatever. And so I was like, what? Eventually I found out like two years later that there was a Google Summer Code thing happening. I was on the Rails blog and I just happened to be on there when that was the top post that Rails was going to be doing that. And I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta try this. And I had no idea that it, I didn't think, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, but I'll try anyway. So I submitted a post about Rails had a HTML scanner, like a HTML parser written in Ruby for the time to do some standardization and whatnot. And they wanted to replace that with Lufa, which uses Nucopiri under the hood. So it's okay, I'll write a proposal for that to how to do that things. And but then I got picked. I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this now. Sort of, but I was very excited about it too. But it was just like, I never thought it would happen, kind of. And then Raphael Franco was my mentor for that summer in 2014. And so it's just, it was just me plucking away at it and trying to write things differently and so forth. So it was the biggest project I ever written in Ruby in some ways, kind of like the one that was most real or whatever. And so it was just me in the chat tool going every day, like, what about this? What about this figure? And then Casey was just filling up pages and pages of that. And in a case, it would just be Raphael that would chime in with something like, yeah, sounds good. Or stuff, stuff like, it would just be very reassuring because he's very calming if you ever met him. Super cool and very encouraging, but in a very sort of quiet way. So yeah, we'll figure some of the stuff out too. So that's very nice too, to have that. So it was nice to, I was essentially rubber-dogging this chat program. Then like, 
Rafael will go in and like, uh, I'm doing a thumbs up here. So <laughs> three people can see it. Not a lot of people can listen to that, but this is what it sounds like. So that happened during the summer. I didn't quite get wrapped up. So I worked on that a little bit more during the fall. And I guess sometime in 2014, and then that was merged in the summer. And that's a, I think it was a PR that had like 120 commits on it or whatever. So I was like, oh, okay. It was just super cool. And then that was sort of that part of it. I remember what else happened in 2014. It's kind of quite a while. Oh yeah, RailsConf. That's right. I went to RailsConf for the first time. I was super nervous at the time. I think I heard Raphael tell the story recently, but I had such a hard time even saying who I was to him because he didn't seem to recognize me at first because at the time I didn't have my Twitter profile picture wasn't my face. It was some other thing or something. So he didn't know what I really looked like. So it's just, I think I changed it a little bit before to sort of prime it or something, but it was it's sort of this dinner thing. And then he stood right in front of me and looked at me. I was like, oh, hello. Hi. Okay. Yeah. Hi. And I didn't have the guts to say who I was or anything like that. So I just didn't say it. So he just passed by kind of, I didn't, oh, okay. Okay. And then it became sort of, I'll just wait and see. He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. I won't have to say anything kind of. And then later we were outside and Raphael was kind of like, wait, where's my student? He was supposed to be here. I didn't even get to meet him. And I was standing right next to him. And then another guy was saying, well, that's this guy. I was like, Oh, hi. Hello. It's me. So that was just so weird. But then that's that, hilarious. that bubble pop kind of to talk for a bit. And then we hung out for a rest of the conference and again, made it feel very welcome. People who worked platform tech from that time, which is very nice to, it's if they were very welcome people that bunch. So that's, that was just super nice. Oh, I love it. Were you in school at the time when you were doing that? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I was studying someplace in Copenhagen that I kind of didn't really like. They were doing some sort of PSP thing, which wasn't my thing. And I thought that specific where you were teaching, it wasn't that great. It was sort of like, sometimes the functions would use snake case. Sometimes they would use, they would all be crunched together or like camel case or yes, it's all lowercase in one. It's like, okay. And one of the teachers at one point was trying to show me something about his personal site that was fetching pages from the database or something. And I'd already used Rails by that point. So he was just like, yeah. And so we'll get to that someday. And I was trying to tell him about some of the stuff I was doing with the Google Summer Code thing. And he was just looking at me like, oh, you're one of those. And he looked back at his email and that was the end of that conversation. I was like, oh, okay. Wow. I just moved the laptop away. I was like, okay, that was fun. (laughs) Okay, sure. Okay, fine. So that was really my thing. And it was some sort of marketing thing too, or whatever. I didn't like it that much. That's the way of putting it. But it was mostly for me to sort of do my own thing, which then didn't happen because I didn't have the skills to do anything like that at that point. And then, yeah, I think that was... Sort of 2014, did some student jobs there, got paid a little bit for some programming, started looking a little bit more at was global ID. I think that's what started this. And then I sort of got more into Rails sort of more organically after the Google Summer Code thing. I started doing some PRs there for different stuff to add some features or whatnot, or and sort of got on to being a little bit of a maintainer on that. And then in, I think it was like early 2015, I was just like, why don't I just look at some of the Rails stuff? So I think I started watching the repository by that point and getting emails for everything that happened, started reading through that. And then the case would pop in and start either writing stuff on there or whatnot, because I'd known a little bit of how it's done for a while. And then more and more just started doing that more. Yeah, I think that's sort of the next leg of it or whatever. And got a job based on some of that open source experience uh, with Copenhagen here too. So I sort of worked for a while while I eventually made the Rails core team. That was like 2016 or something. So that's, yeah, that's five years ago, like July, something like that. So yeah, that's also pretty weird, but it's not really 
oh yeah, that's a thing that happens. And it's like, I'm, I'm not to be one anniversaries of things. So it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess it's five now. So we'll see. <laughs> but yeah. And doing a bunch of different things, working a little bit on the, on the test runner thing. We have a rails, what else? Some caching stuff, some stuff with, and then eventually when you sort of get commit, but you sort of get to review other people's pull requests and you can merge those as well. So that's what a lot of it is. It's sort of accepting community proposals, helping shape them and everything. And like, yeah, if we tweak it that way, we can get it in. Or the documentation needs to be a little different here. That's what a lot of it can be, at least in terms of what you want it to be. It gets to choose what you want to work on and how much you want to level up in terms of with the community and so forth or doing whatever you want to do. But it's very easy to get sucked into sort of like looking at all the stuff that comes in, which is also a lot of fun. There's an enormous amount of requests and things that come in. And one of the things I've been thinking about recently is the complexity of maintaining your own project that you work on at your business is one thing. But what's nice about that is if you need to change the underlying architecture and just replace it with something new or whatever, like you realize we built it wrong and we need to fix something major, you can do that. But with maintaining the page M recently, I realized like, yeah, this is uh, really hard when you're thinking about, yeah, I want to change the database models here, but it's used in thousands of applications. And if you want to do that in Rails, it's used in millions, probably, at least. Who knows? And so it's like, that's been on my mind recently of, you know, the amount of thought that has to go into a lot of merging PRs and thinking about if it's a feature or something, how does this affect the way that Rails works? And how people use it. And then if you're fixing bugs, that's an interesting one where some people rely on the bugs to work the way that they do. And then if you fix it, you might end up causing problems for for people. And I thought that was always interesting of like the depth that you have to put into thinking about every one of these PRs probably has to be quite a bit. I was curious if you uh, had any thoughts on that. Sort of and sort of not in some sense. (laughs) Sometimes... One of the things that I like leveraging a lot is that the cadence is very different from what you do in sort of a, you know, a day-to-day job or working on a code base or something, where there's a pressure to deploy at some point, you know, for good reason. But there isn't as much that in Rails. So this means that we can sort of sometimes do things a little bit in pieces. You know, we just merged marginality into Rails where we worked on that a bunch of so far. So I worked with uh, Kieran, I think it's the guy from GitHub that was doing it. And we shaped it a bunch of, took it a bunch of different turns and then at the end of it, it was kind of like, oh, wait, we also need some guide stuff. And then we're just like, let's just, this part is fine now. We can do the guide a week later or something. We don't have to do it that way. So that's a lot of it. What it is too, is also figuring out how do we get a base in that's fine and then do some of the other stuff later or segment it a little bit so we don't have to do everything up front. But it is true. There's a lot of, yet sometimes there's stuff to think about. I don't know. I feel like I'm blanking out or it's, maybe it just looks that way. I don't know. I'm kind of yeah. like, is there it's- actually... Maybe like, uh, you know, like active storage, I think is kind of an interesting example of that was a very almost base camp use case that was extracted, which was good. But there was all these people who were like, what about public avatars and like public images? And those are interesting balances to strike where it's, we know how this feature needs to work for this case and we can do that. And then it's also open source. So you're like, really, we kind of make want to make this work for more use cases too. And it definitely gets complicated at a certain point, like on those big features like that. 
that's true. And that's, I think, one of the things I remember from Actosaurus was also the whole thing of how do we do, start out with just supporting redirects. And then, of course, a lot of people wanted proxies. And then it's a big community, a PR about that, that I think took a long time to sort of find a shape that was settled and everything, which is true. There's a lot of the concerns about it. And then a lot of it's also just about figuring out a way to do it that fits in terms of also finding an API that still keeps the same um, spirit, you could say, without, you don't necessarily want to just like back off and say, oh, the active surfing is now it doesn't work with the other stuff. So now we just sort of do this back alley way of doing the other thing, but it's, it was made to fit into the existing structure with the routes and everything and doing as a controllers and everything that, that ActiveStore has some internal controllers that it uses. But that's true. There's a big consideration to some of that. In some ways for me, it's, I guess maybe this is because I feel like I've been doing it for a while. So just, I guess I don't see it because it's just, maybe there's more decisions, but there's still just, you do one, you do one, you do one, and then eventually you get to the end of it. So maybe there's a slightly longer to, I don't know how to sort of, I guess I don't know exactly how to sort of express it, but I think you're right. I just yeah. don't know how to sort of explain think, it exactly without sort of a particular case like uh, the process. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, one thing I've noticed is I feel like there's a, well, definitely if you're just using a feature and you need some specific thing built, you like are pretty narrow-minded of, I just needed to do these things. But then one thing that I've noticed, you've been doing some pull request uh, reviews and stuff publicly on Twitter now, and you've been doing that for a long time on GitHub, obviously. But one of the threads that I noticed in there is like very close attention to detail in naming things. My friend Taylor had the feature flag PR that I loved your commentary on, which is kind of like, look, the concept here is currently feature flags, but you're really rolling out features. And it happens to be that you've named it not necessarily after the thing that it's doing, the rolling out of features. You've named it just a feature flag. And that's more... I don't know how you would describe it, but I thought that was really interesting. And I was curious, do you put a lot of thought into that kind of shaping the, how does it read conceptually so that it intuitively guides you in the right direction to think about the features and stuff? Yeah, I'd say that's the main part of what it is. That, and also for me, it's the thing that's the most fun essentially to find out some of these different shapes for things. And how does that unlock something if you twist it a little bit? I do remember that whole the, the feature thing there. Yeah, I did some PR reviews there. If you have a PR either somewhere or in a private repo, you can send it to me and I'll take a look at it this week. It was like three weeks ago or something. But yeah, and then the case was we want to have feature flags. And I remember working at a place before where we used feature flags and we call it flag or feature or something. And so I was like, well, what we're kind of doing is the thing is slightly more geared to the aspect of making sure that things get rolled out. So eventually whatever feature we have here is going to just be available to all and then it's kind of gone. So I think that there's an interesting aspect to that if you want to, I tend to say the word geared a lot, that there's something that's ever so slightly more geared in a certain direction. So that it doesn't just, because to me, the word feature just kind of feels like it goes a little bit in a lot of directions. Not that there's anything bad with it, but just, but if you scope it a little bit more towards the rollout of it, that it's like, I feel like that gives you a little bit more of an idea of where things are going and that there's a lifespan to these features that hopefully aren't, you know, months or weeks, or it might be that if, you know, it might be a very slow roller or something. But yeah, I'd say that's a lot of what it is that I focus on in terms of, because I find that usually it's where it gets most interesting and also where it gets to be a place where it makes it easier to sort of look for other patterns in terms of, or sometimes spotting them slightly differently instead of just 
say, you know, because you could say a feature flag and then people sort of know what that is, and which is true. And that's good. So you could add something in there that's called a feature flag and then perfectly good and fine. But I think if you take the time to sort of adopt it or twist it ever so slightly, sometimes other stuff will reveal itself that might be done ever so slightly differently or things like that. And that's the part of stuff that I do enjoy doing. Yeah, it changes things ever so slightly. And I feel like it does help unlock certain things. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this aligns a lot with your, you were saying like, you know, you enjoyed Ruby more than Python and other languages. And that is partially baked into the language where they want it to be very free form. Like the feature that I wish that every other language had was the bangs and question marks at the end of every method name. How many times you're writing JavaScript and you're like, has, and it's some camel case thing. And you're like, this just reads terrible. If we just had a question mark and it wouldn't break any syntax or anything, and it would just be nice. There's something interesting about that. Of A lot of times you're thinking in these kind of concrete things where you're like, we have a flag and we need it on or off for each user. But really what the rest of the team's going to think about, like the business side of the team's going to be like, we need to roll this feature out to 10% of the user base or only employees or 50% and whatever. And then like you were saying, it's ephemeral after that, where the feature, once it's out to 100% of the, the users, then it's gone. You don't need the feature flag anymore, which is really interesting to look at it from that perspective and say, yeah, why would you even call it a feature flag when you're like, the intention here is to roll out stuff and you just happen to need a flag somewhere on the groups or the users or whatever it is, just to check whether or not it's been rolled out. And it's a level of granularity that you're looking at that's different, which is, I think, really something that a lot of developers probably should put more thought into that. Yeah, I guess I agree with that. Another thing I just remembered of it, that we had the rollout thing as sort of the overall name, but I think the method I added to, I think that there was a domain model that was called account. It's you know, pretty obvious for a lot of apps. And I think at the domain level, it was more has preliminary access to and then question mark. Which I think I is also that. interesting that it was, yeah, again, ever so slightly with it, it's pretty long method name, but I feel like that still fits. It kind of has to get in your eyes a little bit but it's, because it is that ephemeral nature of it. So I don't mind that it would stick out and be a long method name and that it fits a little, that idea of that it's, yeah, preliminary access. That could be another word for it. I do the overall term being rollout, but then that's tough to model on the method name level, but I still think it fits with that stuff. Yeah. And if you named it something too short, you know, user can use this feature, then like it bleeds into roles and authorization. And it's nice to have the separation of, of terminology there. Where clearly this chunk of code is unfinished preliminary stuff that we're going to give access to. And that I think does a great job of naming it. And this goes to like, I mean, all of the DSLs and Rails had the same effort put into them. The routes and resources and get match and even just doing to whatever, all of those things, Active Records got a, a ton of them. But one of those that really caught my eye recently was like, I designed pay to have you add payment details to like your user or whatever model you were going to use and, and accept payments on. And I noticed like active storage took a different approach from Shrine or Carrier Wave or Paperclip where they would force you to put migrations to run on your models. 
which meant that every time you needed to change that, you'd have to go run migrations and manage that yourself. And then active storage comes along with this nice has attached file or whatever. And you know, you're able to just say, okay, boom. And then we'll figure out the rest for you. We'll have the association defined and you can just intuit that. And you're like, huh, this is way more easy to interact with now because I don't have to worry about the migrations as much. They're managed in one place. It does make things different. Like you got to join a table now to access those, but there are a lot of benefits as a new Rails user and when I upload files, boom, done. It feels like magic versus add some columns that you don't quite know what data gets stored in there and maybe they're serialized hash or something and it gets to be tedious. And so anyways, that was one that I'm applying from learning that from Rails to the the payments thing where now instead of having you add your payment processor and the ID and your current default credit card type and all that, instead of putting that on your user model or your account, now it's going to be a pay customer and we'll keep track of those. One of them will be your default. So we can grab that easily and associate subscriptions and charges with that and even multiple payment methods. Cause that was where I started going down the rabbit hole of like, how do we add these payment methods to the user when there's one default? And then I added four columns of like credit card type, which is like the brand like Visa or MasterCard. And, and then it was like, oh yeah, this is going to be unmanageable. The second I want to go change that on these existing models, because they're going to convince people to run migrations on their existing stuff to add new things. That was not a good design, but I think I've learned my lesson. If you're listening to this podcast, then who's making sure that your application is running correctly? Is the app up? Are bugs plaguing your users? Do your cron jobs execute correctly? I don't have to worry about this because I have a secret weapon, Honey Badger. Honey Badger works with my unique workflow, is easy to set up on all my projects, and gives me peace of mind throughout the day. The best part is that Honey Badger has all the tools I need in an easy-to-understand UI with excellent documentation. I want to build features, not waste time trying to configure my tools, and Honey Badger provides that for me out of the box. Sign up for Honey Badger today and let them know we sent you. Thanks to Honey Badger for their continued support of the show. Yeah, it's totally understandable because it makes a lot of sense just to put it on a column there. But yeah, I, f- I think sometimes I to say that your app is in the associations, that it's more about figuring out how to find a flexibility of just rather and then take that join hit or whatever uh, a lot of the time because it brings more flexibility and it allows you to model things a little bit more, you could say, loosely coupled or something like that. But it's more just the IDs pointing at each other and then you sort of have a connection there or be polymorphic or, you know, whatever is needed or have a join table into it too. I like that a lot. That's one of the things I like doing too, in terms of modeling things in a Rails app, that it's focused on making sure we have the appropriate amount of both, for the most part, use active record, you know, to have those that are then connected together well, or using a little bit of a mismatch of active record with some pores attached to those or something, adding an aspect of those. And that goes with, I kind of want to pick a little bit more of what you're saying before, Chris, about what developers need to do more of. And I think a lot of what I focus on with the naming thing and so forth, that it's not so much about the problem solving aspect of it, but it's more the problem sizing of it, that there's different shapes to it. And if you cut things, there are so slightly differently. And that, I, that's what I like a lot, that there's envision it this way, and then you can sort of name it this way. And the code is still sort of the same. The names are different. The implementation is slightly different, but not that much, you know, if we're talking about a feature flag thing, at the end of the day, it's still just a check that's 
call it something like enabled or anything like that, or it could have a different name. But that's where it gets really interesting to me that you can have these things that then speak to you ever so slightly differently and communicate something more and also set you free in the case of like the active storage thing that it makes it easier for our developers to get going with it and put it up and get something running and so forth. And there's less stuff to think about there, which in many ways, I feel like it's the end goal kind of. Yeah, I like it. And even on the JavaScript side of things, the hot wire transition from TurboLink stuff feels a similar way of, hey, instead of thinking about it in these terms, it almost feels like more of just a straight conversation between the client and the server where you're like, hey, you know, I want to go do something and it sends HTML back and they feel like they're talking to each other. Whereas it used to be you would make your JSON request and it packages up some stuff from JSON and then the client still has to decide on what does it do and it feels very separated. Whereas now it's kind of coming together a bit more. And I think that's going to be an interesting thing too. And it, it feels along the same lines of shaping the problem in the right context where you don't have to fully separate them out. And you also don't have to go like no JavaScript at all. There's a nice balance in, in between that hasn't really been struck before. I don't think the same way. Have you done much on the mobile side of Hotwire at all and fiddled with iOS or Android? No, not at all. You know, when I worked at the Basecamp thing, we had mobile developers uh, that, that did most of that stuff. So I never really looked at it. That's one of the things I enjoy doing, which is you got that handled and then I don't look at it at all. So, you know, and sometimes I still like to say that it's sort of most professional pride of me that I've never written a line of R spec because I haven't had to. Not that there's anything bad about it, but it's just like I haven't had to learn any of that. So this is like perfect. And I think that's really fun too to get to opt out of certain things so that you get to focus on some other stuff, which meant more Rails PR, pull request reviews and all that stuff. No, I haven't done a lot of on the mobile side, so I don't know too much about it. I know you're doing a thing with it, right? Like a product thing or something? Basically, the Jumpstart template is like a full Rails app with Hotwire in it and payments and stuff. And then we set up all those little details of like, you have your native iOS login screen. It makes an API request with your credentials but it needs a API token and cookies to log you into the browser for the Hotwire browser. But you also need the API key so that you can do a native setting screen and send an update there or whatever. Or, I mean, we could do that with cookies as well, but there's the kind of the full integration there. So we have, you can just grab the Rails app and the iOS app and they talk to each other and you're ready to go, like build kind of your focus on whatever your business logic is and whatever you're trying to do instead of the mobile apps and all of that. I love that you can say, here's that, you know, we did it on the web version and you go figure out what it needs to do on, on mobile. And that's pretty cool. Well, it's not quite that. I realized I misunderstood what we were saying because I necessarily didn't have to touch a lot of the mobile side, but we would have to do occasional tweaks here and there on the website of things. But that was most of the designer because they could do HTML and CSS and do some real stuff too. A lot of them. So yeah, that made a lot of things kind of easy in that respect. It's a little bit different now, but yeah. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> so what are you up to now? Are you still doing your pull requests on Twitter if anybody wants to? Not at the moment. I have paused them a little bit because it was a little bit much in that week. I was just imagining we'll just do one week and then we're going to go for that. And I thought it was very well received. And interesting to do all this stuff. 
sit there, pause for a little bit. I still had some stragglers from some stuff that I sort of picked up a little bit more, but I might do more of that in some point. And it's fun to do a little bit over Twitter because for the most part, whenever I've done you know, sort of reviews, it's just been purely kept to GitHub or anything, but it's kind of fun to have that a little bit more, well, it is social media. So I have the social aspect of it, a part of it too, where you get to, it changes things a little bit when you just get to write to some person and so forth. So yeah, it was fun to do. So, and you know, I've been pull requests for five, six years now on Rails. So it's not necessarily a new thing, but the Twitter aspect of it, we're sort of doing one week or we're doing like a review of the review or whatever, saying this got in or whatever, that was a little bit new parts of it, but it was also fun to sort of have a little bit of a feeling of momentum or whatever. I don't know what it was like for the other people who had it there. I hadn't heard that much from anybody else, but I had fun with it. Yeah, it was fun to sink my teeth into a lot because I think that was mostly my whole <laughs> week that was kind of spent there. But that was fun to do. Because uh, <laughs> I'm still, you know, fun employed and all that stuff. So looking at what's next or whatever kind of thing and just taking my time essentially. Yeah, your career is just going to be doing pull requests, reviews from now on, it looks like. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways it has been for a kind of long time, you could say, you know, I think that's the reason I remember Rails Core and all that stuff. So that's a boost there kind of, but, but yeah, I had to step away a little bit because it does sometimes become a grind or something. And I've done a thing you aren't supposed to do, which is that you have a bad day and then you still write on there and you say something you shouldn't have. And then I woke up next morning and you're like, this is not okay. It's not welcoming. It's not the thing we want on Rails and all that stuff. So, you know, and then you have to apologize, which is, I mean, I mean that sincerely too, that it was like, this is not, that's not okay. No, that's not what we want here. So for the most part, this was part of it with the Twitter thing too, was also to get back into it a little bit because I'd taken a long break for some of it and we learning a little bit of what it is that I like about it too, that it is nice to have people who are completely new step in with some new stuff that you haven't seen before. And then they get their thing in and then that's in the main thing that they use and all that stuff in their work. And that's super cool. And sometimes it's easy to lose sight of that because it's just like, what is it like 400 pull requests open on Rails now? And so it's easy to become like, oh, 399 to go. <laughs> it's like 398 to go. Oh, now it's actually 415 to go. Okay, great. It's like, I think there was a time where I was closing five PRs in a week or something. And then in the next week, we got like 20. So this is like, it had been for nothing or something. Like an obscene amount at one point. It's like, what is going on? And it just so happened to me when I had okay, so that's not the way to do it. But so it's a little bit more slow and steady. And then I think it's also important to stress that there's, I, I sometimes see pull requests differently from having reviewed so many of them. And you can see on the maintainer side versus the contributor side that it's more, I think you have a better time if you don't care if it gets merged. I think it's, it's sort of a little bit of a strange thing to say, but I tend to see contributing more just doing it for the learning aspect that it's more, it doesn't matter so much if it sort of ends up, because you could also open up where you are and then be like, I thought this was going to be super easy. It wasn't. I don't have time to do this. And then you're kind of stuck with it. So in some ways, I find that's better to just be like, if you just write a comment there and it's like, okay, I can't finish it. If somebody else wants to pick this up, that's fine. And you can close it out or pass the buck however you want to. I think that's pretty fine too. Another thing I like to say to people too is also that I think that there's sometimes, I feel like open source has changed a little bit in terms of the say a schematics or whatever in the last five years. So it become more like you should contribute. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, you could, you want to, that's fine. But the should aspect of it is what I don't like because that becomes sort of a little like finger waggy. That's like, we should contribute to Rails. And it's yes and no. We should have sort of a hopefully a healthy base that's reviewing stuff every so often, merging stuff in, and there's going to be leases out. And sometimes they get delayed because that's sort of what happens. But safety by numbers, that you shouldn't have to 
contribute to Rails, but you might want to, and it's a great learning experience and a lot of that stuff. And it's fun to get stuff in and it's fun to play around with it and see what it's like and all that stuff. And you also don't have to focus just on the code aspect of it. You can look what other people are doing for reviews and see that, how that goes and learn a little bit about what people are like when they write on there and who's active and who's not and so forth by just watching the repository, essentially. It doesn't have to be code. It could be reviews. It could be, I guess, tweeting something or writing a blog post or doing a lot, all these other things. You know, It's not just... Sometimes it, it becomes a little bit of that thing where it's just like, only code matters. Only code that's merged matters. But it's like, yeah... <laughs> But that becomes very slim. It becomes ever so slightly elitist. And I'm just like, that's not helping anybody. Because it's still a win, even if nothing gets merged. Because you, yeah. you went for somewhere. And even taking it 20% there is still fine. You could close it out and be like, okay, I didn't know how to do that. Come back a year later or six months later or whatever. It's something like, oh, I could take it the next 20% there. Now it's 40% work. And then someone else might show up and take it a little bit further too or whatnot. I think that there's still an aspect of being able to, I, I wish GitHub made it slightly easier to sort of pass the buck back and forth yes. or sometimes yeah. would give credit a little bit easier instead of you having to be very particular about getting in there with the co-authored buyer and all that stuff because it comes a really tough conversation sometimes in terms of, uh, I can only take it this far. I don't know how to do it. I can't invest more time into it. If you want to do that, that's fine. So there's also a little bit of a, a reframe in terms of who does the work. Because once you've been doing this for a while, a lot of open source, you're kind of like, anybody could do this, kind of, and that's fine. So I don't have to be doing it. A contributor could do that. Or the same thing for a contributor, somebody else could step in and do parts of that or whatever. And that's all good, essentially. But it's a little bit tough when you get into some of these tricky things where people might have been contributing a lot, or they might have only done their private software stuff for a company or things like that. And in my experience, the things that you do in a private company don't tend to sort of always cross over. But then reversely or inversely, whatever it is, everything you do in open source can transfer over into the private stuff because you're sort of working in a lower trust environment where you have to explain what you're doing more to someone who might not know or something, or it's a little bit indefinite in terms of where is this from or do we even want this or and, and playing it off in terms of doing different ways of doing it. Sometimes it ends up being, I think again, it's that cadence of we got to ship, we got to deploy or whatever. And then it becomes... We just got to do it. We just got to get it out now. We just got to get it out now. For me, part of the big joy is also stepping out of that on Rails itself and then be like, wait a second. What if you do ABC or something like that? Which I find makes it more interesting too when you didn't bring that extra experience back to sort of a private company setting and say, oh yeah, but in the past I've known how to, I've gotten better at making multiple different sketches for how things could look. And then you can sort of apply that back in when you do different stuff you haven't done before and like a new feature or whatever. Same thing with the rollout stuff we talked about. I'm one of those people with several of those open PRs that never got merged because, you know, one of them was like the attributes API came out and I was like, why doesn't store accessor let me just specify a type and default values and stuff. And so I like did a quick sketch of that as a PR and was like, it doesn't seem that daunting. And so I sat down and was like, I'm going to do that this weekend just for fun. Try and learn it because I don't know Active Record or how any of these features work. So I did it and then made a little PR and was like, you know, this example stuff that I did does work. And then Raphael or somebody came by and was like, yeah, we've tried that before. And there's these gems that we have and it's not going to be in here probably because it's way more complicated that you understand. And I was like, That's fair. I totally understand that because I don't know all of the implications of 
some of these changes. And that was like, it was incredibly valuable for me just to do the PR for fun, to learn it. You know, I think one of those understandings you get over time is that like, yeah, my Rails app, it depends on Rails and device or whatever, but they're not compiled things that we can't read the source code in. Like when the stack trace comes in, it'll tell you it crashed on this line in Rails and this line of your code triggered that issue. So like just open the code and all of a sudden you're learning how Rails works and you have a better understanding of your app because guess what? Any dependency you pull in is like something you have to own now. So I thought doing those PRs, I didn't expect it to get merged, but I was like, hey, this is fun and we'll see what happens. That was really good for me. And then I remember the other point I was going to make was you were kind of talking about, you know, the doing the PRs publicly and stuff helps get more people involved and share the stuff more. And there's a very clear moment where I kind of like, I'm going to do Rails forever. I had this feeling in college, basically, I got hired by a professor to do some Rails work. She had a grant and we were building some websites. And I got the senior project. We're doing this big thing. And we're doing a calendar for scheduling tours of campus at our university. And we're working for that department. And I'm like building something to kind of group the events that are available and how many slots are open for each day on the calendar. And this is like Rails 2.3 or something. And I'm doing like a join and I'm pretty sure it's not working, but I'm assuming it's my fault because I'm brand new. And I opened an issue or something on Rails and I was maybe a year into knowing Ruby and Rails period, but I was like, hey, I don't think this was working right. And here's what I'm trying to do. And I forget who it was, but they you know, replied to it and were like, yep, that looks like a bug. I would love to go fix this, but I'm going to need some guidance. And he basically was like, here's this test, go copy that, modify it, and then you know, reproduce your problem. And then go look in active record wherever and just gave me these pointers, which hopefully took him five minutes or less to just be like, boom, boom. And I went down and was like, that's my mission. I'm going to go figure this out and I'll be on the Rails contributors list. And I was so proud of that because it was just doing it for fun. But I, I love the idea of just being able to give back, you know, like these are all these people doing this free work for me to be able to build cool stuff and get a job doing Rails and whatever. I was like, this is awesome to be, to be able to do that. And I think helping people early in their careers contribute in any way is amazing. And then the people who are, like you said, willing to not have it merged and stuff, and you're like not tied to my specific version of this PR, how I want it to look. If you go into it with the right mindset and you're like, hey, I think I can help here. What do you guys think? And make it a collaboration and it goes really well. And I think it it really helps make it welcoming and fun to contribute. And, you know, I plan to do more and I want to do a bunch more, but it's one of those things where it's also Rails, where it's huge and a lot of things are pretty solid now. But if you dig into Hotwire, Request.js, import maps, all of these new things, there's tons of bugs tons of improvements you can make. And those are like really easy places to, to dive in versus fixing a bug in Active Record. I don't think I could find a bug very easily these days, but 
Yeah, that was a really good memory of mine where I was like, I got to contribute to Rails. And now I show up in the contributors list. So it felt like a big milestone. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it is. Sometimes you want to make a select port in the contributors list if you go look there or whatever. It's sort of ranked, but it's not a competition. It's just there because commits are a little bit easier to count or something to have some semblance of who's doing what or whatever. I mean, Raphael is almost at what, 10,000 or something at this point. So it's okay, good for you. <laughs> I mean, it is good for you and it's good for all of us because Raphael is a champ, of course. It's undisputed champ, at least until I guess somebody makes a commit farming bot or whatever to start feeding him. I guess you could kind of do that, but now that yeah, I can yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. there's Andrew. There, yeah, hold on, I can do this. But yeah, I also think it's good to see it more as kind of. In some ways, I feel like some of the ideal contributors or some some people who maybe only contribute once a year. That's completely fine. You don't have to try to do it. I have to do this once a week, and it has to be this way. And it has to be all this kind of way. It's just like six months is fine. Three months is fine. It's perfectly all right. You know, you can get one thing in per release or something like that. Perfectly all right. And everything counts. You don't have to force yourself to be it in a certain way or step into a certain kind of doing it. That is like, this is the only right way to do it. But lots of ways of doing it and lots of ways of going about it too, that there's more space for that. Yeah. I think the other thing too, is if you're new to Rails and you like are reading the docs and you follow them and they don't make sense or like they're not working like it says it is. Those are perfect opportunities to dive in because you know Rails super well and little mistakes that you might run into or whatever, you can like gloss over them because you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I had to do this instead. But the newcomer is not going to necessarily know those things or whatever. And those are really good times, but it's hard to be sometimes self-aware enough when you're like new and you're like, no, I'm probably doing it wrong because I don't know what I'm doing. And yet at the same time, that is a moment where you're like, actually, it wasn't clearly explained enough and I could contribute there or just write a blog post and do that first, maybe if that's more comfortable or whatever. I remember starting my blog back in the day that I don't ever write on anymore. I had this thing where I was like, if it takes me more than like four or eight hours to fix a bug, then I'm going to write about it in my solution because Clearly, I've searched Stack Overflow and everything else a a ton, and they haven't answered my question. So I'm going to go write about it because hopefully that will help somebody else. And that actually turned out to be like super useful for other people. But actually, the hilarious thing was six months later, I'd be on a different project and I'd run into the exact same issue and I'd Google it and be like, oh, yes, somebody wrote an answer to this. And I click on it and I'm like, this website looks awfully familiar. (laughs) And sure enough, it was me. So those are hilarious times, but I think that's awesome. You guys have any questions that you want to dig into? You haven't dropped a ton of puns during this. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a ponderful episode so far. Oh yeah. 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 God. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, nothing's coming to mind right now. So yeah. I can't pun on the spot. I need a lot of time. Yeah, a lot of time to pontificate. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> there it is. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would just say thanks for all your work on Rails. Like I see you and every time I'm in the Rails, like PRs or issues or whatever, I see your name. So thanks so much for everything you're doing for the community. It means a lot to a lot of us. I'm sure not a lot of people say it, but I just want to say it. Thanks. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And that's also a little bit of stuff of how long you've been doing it. That's kind of, 
Oh, right. Yeah, I guess I'm on, on those issues a lot, but it's kind of, yeah. But to me, it's just, oh, there's myself and then pass on to, because I got to read the other people's comments. So, it's just, so I don't look for my own. I already wrote that. So I guess I don't see it, but that's true. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. It's very nice to hear you. Yeah. I, I was going to say thanks for joining us today because it was fun just to sit back. It's like a, a peek inside your mind and I really enjoyed it. Thanks for taking the time to do that. Well, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks for being here. Do you have any place you want to send people like your Twitter uh, or your GitHub issues? Yeah, I guess just a Twitter. I'm on CaspTH on Twitter. And then I guess if it's fun for people, you can go on a GitHub issue tracker for Rails and then do Commander, same username, CaspTH. And then if you want to see, you can start reading all of them if you want, I guess. There's about 400 or something. So good, enjoy <laughs> whatever you want to see. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. Awesome. We'll put links in there show notes so people can find you easily and anything else you guys can think of nope next time we have you on we're going to spend 50 minutes working on a plan to get chris on to the rails core team but that's for another episode so <laughs> can't be done can't be done. <laughs> yeah i'm on the I'm on the block list the so you're list. saying <laughs> we're gonna need two hours of the episode. right exactly there's yeah. a secret society of people running the rails core team <laughs> The only way we can pull it off is we find a vulnerability in GitHub. <laughs> right. Hack your way in. Then you've right, earned go it. Go for it, yeah. <laughs> Commit to main, yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a Rails app, right? It should be fine. <laughs> I got the source code. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>